Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the World Soccer Talk Podcast. In this episode, we're focusing on answering all of your questions about the new MLS-Apple media rights deal, plus some other topics too, including uh, the World Cup 2026, the Premier League, and much more. Uh, my name is Christopher Harris, and I'm joined this week by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, uh, let's before we head into kind of we, we've gotten so many questions uh, from from listeners and readers, um, so much so over the last uh, week or two that uh, we're going to do a whole episode based on, on that, answering a lot of the questions, discussing a lot of the topics. Uh, there's a lot to get to, and we're still in June, and this uh, Apple MLS deal doesn't happen till 2023. Uh, as an aside on, on a completely unrelated topic, uh, this week World Soccer Talk uh, launched two different things. Uh, on Monday, we launched the our directory of Premier League supporters groups throughout the United States. Uh, we went ahead and researched uh, all of the different uh, supporters clubs uh, from around the United States for the Premier League. Uh, of course, 20 teams, uh, including uh, the new teams promoted to the Premier League. More than 665 supporters groups, which is incredible. And uh, the reaction so far has been very positive. So if you're a member of a supporters group uh, or you're, you're in charge of a supporters group, head on over to worldsoccertalk.com, check the list, make sure you're on there. If you're not on there, we try to make it as complete as possible, but sometimes it's impossible to, to get everyone. If you're missing on there, let us know. We'd, we'd love to add you on, onto it. Then on Tuesday, we launched our World Cup Predictor, and this is a free online tool uh, on the website, worldsoccertalk.com, and this has every single group, every single match in the 2022 World Cup, and what it allows you to do uh, is to go ahead, just like the old BBC Sport Predictor in the past, Kartik, uh, to go ahead and put the results in for each of the games, your predictions, it tabulates then the group standings and shows you uh, which two teams advance. And then uh, it shows you in the knockout stages which teams will play who. So, Kartik, any, any uh, flashbacks from the, the BBC Sport Predictor way back when? Yeah, it was much easier to predict relegation in those days because the predictor would effectively... I mean, I would every season after about round 28 of the Premier League, go through the bottom five or six teams, predict the results, and come out with 
the, the bottom three. And generally, uh, you know, there are times I was wrong, but generally it gave me a better sense. You know, this season in particular, I could have used it with, with the way Burnley, Everton, and, and Leeds, it was a lot of speculation. And it's funny because you say, oh, well, you can still re- go through the fixtures and, and make notes, but it just, there was something very clean about that BBC predictor that made it simple. And, and for promotion from the championship too, by the way, same thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We were inspired by the BBC Sport Predictor. Uh, and it's one of those things that, when, yeah, you're right, Kartik. Once you go in and start putting in the prediction of the results, then the group standings look a little bit different because, you I mean, you think, okay, if you say from Group B, who's going to advance? And, and you I mean, a lot of soccer fans would say England and blank. You I mean, whether it's USA, Wales or Iran. Well, it's easy to say that, but once you go through and look at the matchups, but not only the matchups, but the order of the games. So, for example, England starting against Iran, uh, then coming up against um, um, the uh, USA, and then uh, f- finishing in the last game against Wales. Does that give them an easier path to go ahead and qualify for the second round? Because Perhaps they have uh, a game against Wales, the last game that may be r- rather meaningless uh, for England if they've already qualified. So so on and so forth for each of the uh, 32 teams in the World Cup. Kartik, on last week's podcast, uh, in our What to Watch This Weekend uh, recommendation, uh, you had the recommendation and then it was so good that I seconded it. Uh, it was a game that I'm sure you watched too. I watched. Uh, hopefully a lot of our viewers watched. And it seems to be... Uh, so far, from the from the viewing numbers, a lot of America watched. Uh, tell us about uh, the match of the weekend to watch last week before we talk about match to watch uh, this weekend. Right, Detroit City and El Paso. Detroit City has an absolute unique atmosphere in terms of of professional clubs in the United States. It was an atmosphere they built as an amateur club. Uh, there are a lot of elements that have gone into it. The Detroit City story unique and it portrays it conveys itself differently on television so uh than than other clubs and other uh, other atmospheres so espn uh moves this game from espn 2 to espn uh kickoff noon on a saturday not really much else going on in the world of sports yeah a third round of the u.s open over on nbc uh, but that's really about it right nwsl's on cbs later in the day um so uh uh, or was NWSL on CBS on Sunday? I'm trying to remember now the San Diego game. I watched it. I just can't remember which day it was. But anyway, there's not, not much else going on. And uh, it had more viewers than we're accustomed to seeing MLS ha- uh, matches have in that slot. Um, noon being noon on Saturday being a, kind of in a, a difficult time historically in a 2 p.m. Saturday for MLS games. Sunday maybe do a little better. So uh, 197,000 viewers on ESPN. For a USL championship match, really uh, significant number, especially when compared to some of the MLS numbers that we've seen. So uh, a lot of America, a lot of American soccer fans were watching. And I think more importantly, Chris, it created a, a, a conversation after the match about atmospheres, about Detroit City, and um, put a lot of MLS fans on the defensive. I, I don't know why so many MLS fans are insecure about any kind of conversation about Detroit or uh, in the past about NASL, now about USL. Um, things are different. People have their own preferences as to what they enjoy. I, I, I don't know why there's so much uh, defensiveness about it. Yeah, so from this match, some of the things that stood out for me uh, were the playing style. I thought the playing style, the level of playing was as good as Major League Soccer. 
you mean I, I didn't see a massive drop off like watching this game thinking like ah oh, you mean the the way that these teams are playing uh, is second division to me it was right up there with a lot of MLS games I've watched um the atmosphere is incredible. I mean, we knew going into this match, you and I and, and some of our listeners, uh, and that's what you said last weekend too, Kartik. You said, this is a match to watch just for the atmosphere alone. And it was. I mean, some of the, inst- some of the examples, for example, in the first half, you had um, Detroit fans and the camera faces their fans. So you see their fans with some really interesting banners, uh, scarves waving throughout the game. But then you had uh, the trains passing in the background. You had the train drivers honking during the games uh, to give support to the team and the players and and the fans. And then the fans react. You had food trucks in the background. You had it, it felt like watching an FA Cup game from you mean maybe I don't know uh, Marine FC against uh, Liverpool or Everton or something like that, where it was a a lower division team playing against a, a, a bigger team. Uh, in this case, it's a USL championship game, so it, it's it's on, on equal uh, footing. But just the optics were, were great to see. It was great television, and the game was good. Um, so I, I had no complaints. I, I think, yeah, I think MLS fans, are, many are used to being defensive. They're defensive about the league in many ways because they probably feel that they're attacked quite often. Um, but... But you and I, I mean, we can watch MLS, we can watch USL, we can watch uh, NISA or NPSL or any league from around the world. Um, there's good things and bad things about it, anything, but I enjoyed it. What about this weekend, Kartik? I, I know that um, Hartford Athletic against Louisville is going to be on Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. So USL gets another game uh, in a really uh, great uh, time and, and also channel, of course. Hartford Athletic, can you tell me anything about them in terms of, I mean, I, I doubt they're going to have as good an atmosphere as uh, Detroit FC. No, and they, they've had some some ups and downs in terms of fans, uh, but they've uh, they, they fielded a competitive team, and I, I think that they've been a good team to watch since they came into the league a couple of seasons ago. That would be the thing uh, I would point out about Hartford. I mean, I even saw a Hartford uh, uh, in, in live in, a, in an exhibition uh, a couple exhibition matches in Central Florida their first season, and they were already an entertaining side, playing with the ball, keeping the ball, moving the ball side to side. So I think they'll be an entertaining team to watch. Uh, Louisville uh, is is always a good team to watch, always an elite team, really kind of maybe the elite brand in terms of um, – a winning in, in USL. Maybe that brand that would be equivalent to Seattle in terms of uh, a winning in MLS. I guess Seattle would be the most uh, prominent brand that, that, that we associate with winning in MLS these days. Yeah, so de- definitely more of the action on the pitch on Saturday uh, in our recommended game to watch this weekend. Moving on to listener mailbag, and this is where we're going to spend most of our time today. Uh, starting up uh, on the topic of MLS and their recent uh, deal with Apple, Mike says, uh, another outstanding show. I really enjoyed your, your discussion about MLS media rights. I, for one, am ecstatic about the Apple deal. There's absolutely nothing more frustrating than not being able to watch a match because of a blackout. Shoulder programming should expand as well. Ra says, to me, the most interesting fact is that ESPN was not interested. They have MLS games on ESPN+. Plus. They also have MLS on Star Plus in Latin America. 
They have access to all the viewership ratings for these properties. They are the ones that had all of the data to to, uh, do a proper long-term valuation. It's interesting to hear that they believe it's not worth it. I'm sure MLS would rather have ESPN as a global partner. Another point, with inflation, this deal might seem horrible for MLS five to ten years from now. For Apple, I believe they were interested on the global rights, uh, not because they see it as a big opportunity, but to do a showcase to NBA, NHL, and others that they uh, about how they could benefit from a global centralized offering. Yeah, that global part of the deal, Kartik, is something that is attractive. It, it In some ways, it's very uh, easy to understand, right? No matter where you are in the world, you you can watch MLS games through the MLS um, streaming service on the Apple TV app. And for ESPN to, to pass on the uh, opportunity for the streaming, I I, I think personally, I think it, it, it came down to more the, the money side of things. I mean, if they if ESPN knew that Apple TV was in the hunt to get the the rights. Why get into a bidding war with Apple? Because you're going to lose against Apple in terms of the, the enormous riches that they do have. However, I do think, Kartik, that um, this was something that MLS, they didn't really have much else to choose from in terms of the offers. So ESPN has showed uh, re- relatively, I mean, uh, on the streaming side, no interest. On on the TV side, little interest. Fox showed little interest. And with no other players in in the actual arena that was really, really competitive, I think they had to go to Apple. And Apple then wanted that global deal, uh, and they got it. They got everything that they wanted. Yeah, in terms of um, uh, ESPN showing no interest, which I reported last week, and, and I, I've confirmed with the sources, I've gone back and confirmed with them, that is about streaming rights in the United States. So I should have uh, prefaced that. I, I don't know that Disney, uh, with their various uh, um, uh, entities, Star, and is, I know it's Star in India, Star in Latin America as well, um, it, it, they've got uh, different uh, ones in Australia, I don't know. Maybe they were interested in some other markets. But once uh, Apple was interested, I guess MLS decided they would do a global deal with them. So when I said ESPN wasn't interested, uh, I'm speaking specifically about the United States market and the streaming rights here. Uh, it is possible they weren't interested in those other markets, too. But, um, yeah, doing a global deal makes it very interesting without blackouts. I think that's a plus for MLS. I think it's also, quite frankly, there are people who need football fixes all over the world and um, at, at various times. And there are cult followings for the J League and the A League in this country and for, for different, uh, different uh, things that are on at odd times. So um, MLS could have uh, that window in, in in some places now with this Apple deal. It, you'll know where to find it at least. Yeah, I think I think Ra is spot on here, though, Kartik, because this does give a blueprint to other leagues um, that Apple will be approaching to say, hey, hey, if you come with us, you can get a deal like 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 we have with MLS, where we are available in every country in the world uh, through the Apple TV app. And like you were saying, too, about Disney Plus or Disney or, or ESPN Plus, I mean, in different markets, they're known by different names, and they may not have a, a global kind of footprint. It, it's confusing, right? You mean, like, if you go to Europe, you, it's a different type of service than it is in, in the U.S. 
and so on and so forth. With Apple TV, it is very simplistic. It is, okay, hey, if you want to subscribe to our services, Apple TV is the name, go in and subscribe. So for the other sports, uh, like Ra mentioned, that could be something that's very enticing. I mean, cutting out a lot of the complexity. Uh, Next up is Rob. Rob says, very interesting discussion this past week. I thought one of the more interesting points was with respect to local TV. On the one hand, I agree with Kartik that there is some level of prestige that comes with being on the local RSN. That makes it easy to go to a bar and have them put on the game. On the other, in many MLS markets, that is not now and has not consistently ever been the case. In some, the carriage battles between the RSN, Regional Sports Network, and largest television providers take MLS uh, teams off of a large swath of televisions in a market. I think channel surfing is a practice of the past so that that idea that MLS teams could hook that person just by cruising by the channel is a bit of a piece of wishful thinking. Still, many sports fans, probably uh, your best bet at hooking someone do subscribe to cable a bit more, so hopefully there might be some room to get the games simulcast on local TV. One thing I think would be intriguing would be to really normalize the MLS game windows during the next deal, like we have with the NFL and the Premier League. I think this past Saturday would be a good model, perhaps have the biggest games stand alone in windows at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. Eastern, with waves of 7 p.m. Eastern and 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I could definitely see some value in having a dedicated ESPN linear game on Sunday as well, but it has to be at a consistent time. So, Rob, yeah, in answer to your question, so the way that MLS is structuring this deal for 2023 onwards, uh, for the games, all the games are on Apple TV, but uh, they will have consistent windows with one exception, actually two exceptions. So the the game plan is Wednesdays, for three, there's going to be a whip around show available too, which is something we didn't mention in last week's podcast. So Wednesdays and Saturdays will be MLS games. Uh, there's going to be a six hour whip around show on Wednesday and a six hour whip around show on Saturdays. So what it could mean is that on Easter East Coast, for example, on Wednesdays you might have games starting at six, eight, and ten, uh, and the same thing on on Saturdays, or maybe even even uh, kind of a longer period of time. So that's good news because you have that consistency. The only exceptions to that would be that, uh, one, if a stadium's not available due to a conflict, whether it's an NFL game or something else happening at that stadium, that game uh, can be moved to a different uh, time or date. And then the other part of it is linear uh, television. So if uh, if ESPN does, as we uh, believe they will, sign a deal with MLS to uh, get uh, some games for linear, they will then be able to move those games that the actual start time. So on a Saturday broadcast uh, or a Sunday broadcast, probably more likely Saturday, ESPN might show a game or ESPN2 or, or ABC, and that game time will, will move to be on that channel. It'll still be available also on Apple TV uh, through the, the, the streaming service. So good feedback there. Uh, Chris, when it comes to Apple TV getting MLS, I think it is the biggest acquisition so far for Apple TV. When it comes to sports, even bigger than getting Friday night's Major League Baseball games. The only thing that would be bigger is Apple TV getting the remains of NFL Sunday ticket should DirecTV decide to pull the plug on that. As a current Apple TV subscriber, 
I am happy that I will be able to watch Seattle games without blackout restrictions and the need for cable. Because of this deal, I also think that Apple TV will go after the rights to both Serie A and the UEFA club competitions uh, once their deals with CBS end in a few years. Lastly, I fully agree with Chris that MLS does not need a linear TV component in order to to sustain its growth going forward. So, Kartik, what do you think? Do you think this could be, I mean, Apple's acquisition of rights for MLS is this kind of tipping the, do- the, the toe in the water, opening the door uh, to, to perhaps some other deals in, in the near future? Uh, yeah, I, I think for sure. I think they're looking at live sports definitely as a consideration. Uh, one thing about the uh, – and other live sports, increased live sports. One thing about the start times, the kickoff times, we have to keep in mind MLS is focused more than anything on ticket sales and high attendance. And – because of when MLS plays, because they've insisted, and again, I, I'm not going to go relitigate it. My views on calendar change are, are pretty uh, are well known. I think it's the most critical element, even more than pro- promotion relegation, that needs to happen for U.S. soccer, uh, for our pro leagues. Um, because of when they play, the season they play in, I, you can't start matches at 2 or 4 p.m. Eastern or 3 and 5 p.m. Eastern. You just can't. Anywhere in, in the United States, for the most part. So... Um, there may be some exceptions. I think Seattle, uh, Portland, those places would be exceptions. But I think that you're, you're looking largely at matches in prime time at night uh, because of, of, of the geography of the country and, and the climate of the country. So, so going back to Chris's question about uh, whether this could be uh, opening the door for a- Apple going after Serie A uh, or the UEFA Champions League in the, in the near future, those deals will be coming up soon. Kartik, I have to ask you a question, and I'll answer it too. But if you were not a analyst about television uh, or soccer, I mean, not doing this podcast, and you were just a soccer fan, you were just a, you mean a hardcore soccer fan as you are, and then you were faced with the prospect for twenty twenty three onwards, uh, would you subscribe to the MLS uh, streaming service to watch MLS games through Apple TV? I suppose so, but it depends on the price point. I mean, if it's $40 a month, probably not. If it's 10 or $15 a month, um, what would that be over the course of a season? $90, $120? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, probably that. Yeah, I, I'm probably in the same boat and probably actually leaning to, if, if I was just a regular soccer fan, which I'm not, so I will subscribe to Apple TV uh, for this MLS streaming service. You mean in order to watch the games, in order to analyze the coverage, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if I was just my regular soccer fan uh, and I divorced all of this other stuff, I would have to question myself. I'd be like, do I really want to subscribe to a service where I don't have a MLS team? And am I going to be interested enough to go ahead and pay whatever price it is uh, to subscribe to the service, whether it's $10 a month, whether it's $40 a month? Probably not. However, now, if Apple TV, because I have no interest in in, uh, Major League Baseball on Friday nights, I have no interest in NFL Sunday Ticket, if they got that. I know a lot of listeners would would, uh, uh, argue the opposite. NFL Sunday Ticket probably would be something that would get them interested. But as a soccer fan, now, if they had a Serie A and Champions League, that's that's a no-brainer. I mean, MLS, Serie A and Champions League, I'm in. So I think I think that's part of it too. I mean, this is a test also for Apple to try to gauge 
the interests of soccer fans and see I mean, basically work out all the kinks, get this down to a science. And as they've done with a lot of you know, the iPhone products and, and services and laptops and you name it, to master it, to figure out how do we go ahead and become the media giant in the United States, uh, which is where we're heading in many ways, is that even a few years from now, it might be when you want to watch content, uh, you subscribe to either Apple, Amazon, Warner Brothers Discovery, whatever that becomes, and maybe Disney and 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 and, and Comcast. So 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 that those are the media giants that are in in this game trying to acquire as much not just soccer rights but movies, original programs, shows, content, and and and, and maybe Google. You might you might add Google to that equation too. But there's not that much to choose from in the future. That's the way it's heading. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Yeah, 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 but real quickly, I would argue when it comes to streaming, now we don't, now this thing is ever evolving. 10 years is a long period of time. Business strategies change. Apple has changed its strategy in terms of streaming and, and over the top OOTT platforms, et cetera, several times just in the last five years, let alone the next 10. But uh, I still think Disney is ahead of all the other companies you listed uh, in terms of market penetration in the U.S. with streaming and as kind of an OTT destination. So uh, that's something that MLS still has to cope with. They're not going to be on Disney's OTT services. Well, I think the other thing that uh, the other thing to that context is Apple TV, the app itself. It's confusing. It, it is not intuitive. You mean so? For example, um, there was I think last week I had a conversation with with my wife, and she wanted to watch I think it was Uncharted the movie, um, and she said I went on to Apple TV and it asked me I, I had to pay for it, and and and, and that's a confusing thing. So the Apple TV app once you go into it, you see a lot of content recommendations. Uh, you mean some of it is content on other services. 
you mean it could be Amazon, it could be someplace else where it's like it's ha- recommending that you buy that film or rent that film through Apple TV, even though it's not a Apple TV product or owns thing. Um, and it's hard to dis- to determine sometimes with the Apple TV app which is the content that comes for free that's included, and also which is the Apple TV Plus content. It's it's a confusing mixture, and, and and I think Apple TV is still figuring that out. Even with this MLS deal, when this MLS deal was announced, um, at first I thought this is going to be an Apple TV Plus deal, where if you subscribe to Apple TV Plus for five dollars a month, you get access to MLS, you get access to all the, the all these great other content out there, and and some, there are some great shows on Apple TV Plus, including Ted Lasso. Well, Apple TV Plus is not Apple TV. Which is the streaming and, and, and actually MLS streaming service is not Apple TV either. It's going to be available through Apple TV, where you can subscribe through Apple TV. So Apple's trying to throw everything together, kind of everything in the kitchen sink together into the Apple TV app, where that's the app you go to. That's the app you go ahead and figure out what content you want to watch. Some of it's included for free. Some of it you have to subscribe to the Apple TV Plus app. Uh, a service. Some of it you might have to subscribe to MLS to watch all those games, uh, and some of it you're watching. And if you want to watch it, you have to subscribe to it through Apple TV to watch it from a different service. The the opposite's actually happened with me. That happened to your wife, which is there has been a recent time when I wanted to actually buy a movie through iTunes through Apple through Apple TV so I owned it in my Apple digital library on Apple TV and they kept telling me to go to Tubi or Prime to watch it for free and I was thinking I'm trying to give you guys money and you're trying to tell me to go to some some other service to watch with commercials in the case of Tubi um, so they're not even good at, at, at hawking their own product at times right when, when someone wants to pay for something it's very it's a very confusing app and I think maybe between now and the time MLS kicks off in 2023 they declutter it or they do something to make it more straightforward although i mean they've had all this time and they haven't done that yeah i hope so i hope so yeah it's still not it's not still not a finished product by any means and and that goes back back to what you're saying before kartik about apple don't be surprised if this changes a lot in the next 10 years in terms of how this works uh next up is grego grego says um this Apple t- Apple TV MLS deal is a major gamble for the league in terms of maintaining overall visibility in a landscape where they are already struggling for domestic awareness under the current TV deal. Whatever happens next in a linear TV capacity will likely decrease the awareness even less. Um, I don't see a scenario where ESPN continues with MLS and even with a smaller bucket of matches to work with, they somehow make those games suddenly bigger in match production, hype, coverage, and so on. Uh, they still won't be a priority on Sports Center, and unless there's an upcoming game on ESPN, will ESPN be promoting MLS in the weeks between the games they're airing? Likely not. Will Fox? Will CBS? When they're not airing international games and forcing in USMNT commentary with unrelated competition? So when and how will MLS maintain the, the, the awareness of the league on linear TV when the linear partners will likely be even less invested than before? But you spoke on something during the episode that really caught my attention. You mentioned that Tudo Ene, 
uh, Univision, uh, was pushing MLS to change the calendar in order to receive greater consideration on the newest deal. I know probably 10 years or so ago, ago, according to Eric Winalda, Fox was pushing MLS to change the calendar, and obviously MLS uh, balked. Uh, what is MLS's hang-up with changing this calendar? I actually believe moving to a traditional schedule is doable. Six to eight-week winter break, staggered match, uh, match weeks in November, December, and February would be most probable and would benefit MLS, CONCACAF, as well as the USMNT. I hope in the aftermath that MLS is having um, major internal discussions as to why this deal happened the way it did and what they need to do in order to grow their audience. Clearly, they are not doing enough to make MLS attractive on its own, that broadcasters want to invest big into the league that they hoped. Uh, it's actually kind of hard, even with linking with a brand like Apple, to view this as a potential failure. Sure, streaming is is a is on trend with many soccer fans, but linear TV is still the primary primary mode of viewing for general sports fans, as well as fans of other soccer leagues and competition competitions and that goes back to my earlier question as to what is the plan to to continue to build awareness and grow and reach more fans 10 years with limited tv availability is a long time and so much can happen between now and then and if mls doesn't do the necessary work to make mls more attractive to fans to make them want to invest in getting yet another streaming service this could be a fatal mistake to the league Always enjoy the show when I can listen. I'm sure these are interesting times for covering soccer in the U.S. So, Grego, yeah, a lot of great insight there and uh, opinions. Yeah, the TV, I mean, that, that's the whole thing about this Apple TV uh, deal with uh, MLS is that the, the TV side has not been completed. So we've got ESPN, Fox, and presumably maybe one other broadcaster out there uh, basically letting them hang out to dry. I mean, so if they're interested in getting a deal with MLS, they need to come to MLS and, and make that deal happen. Um, likewise, I, I just don't see a massive influx of cash on that side and, and not a lot of incentive for the TV networks to get really excited other than showing maybe, at, maybe other than being like the only TV broadcaster showing games in English language on television. However, again, it, a lot of it depends on Apple. What do you think, Kartik? I mean, is, is the linear side, is, is, are we in a time right now, and with this MLS deal, does it show that linear is a thing of the past and, and streaming is the future, or, or is it more complicated than that? I think it's more complicated than that. I know uh, we've seen several uh, soccer leagues effectively uh, cut their own linear presence, the Bundesliga and La Liga. Although, I, I mean, La Liga was on BN, so I, I don't really want to say that, honestly. I know there are people who will say, oh, if you have Fubo or you have Sling, or what, you, know, you have BN and it's, it's accessible, but, but it really wasn't, okay? So I, maybe we don't put La Liga in that basket. But the Bundesliga cut from having... Look, there were some weekends the Bundesliga had as many matches on linear television via the Fox networks, FS1, FS2, and Fox um, over the air, than they're getting the entire season now with Disney. So um, there has been a move towards streaming, but I don't know. I, the thing that kind of surprised me was the latest Premier League deal, at least here in the States, 
uh, a, the split is still kind of 50-50, right? And you still have half the games on linear, which I thought with a six-year deal in, in all the speculation we did in the run-up to that deal being done with, with NBC, uh, with NBC Universal was that, okay, they'll probably put more games on streaming. I thought they may limit, uh, their linear offerings to the NBC game, the NBC over the year, uh, games on Saturday and maybe one or two matches on the USA Network. That clearly hasn't happened. I mean, they're, they're still going full throttle with basically a half and half, you know, half the games on linear, which, uh, is remarkable. So I don't think linear is out of the picture. Now, the question, Chris then becomes, having said what I just said about the Premier League, still having, what, they have 380 matches a year. So basically 190 matches, give or take a few, on linear. Uh, can all these other soccer leagues afford not to be on linear television? Can the Bundesliga continue to afford to have five matches a season or four matches a season on linear? Uh, La Liga, similar number. MLS, as I've reported, uh, and, and others have confirmed. Other reporters have put this out there, too, that uh, if, if ESPN keeps the rights, if Disney keeps the rights for linear, they're going to go down from about 40 match windows to 25. Uh, Fox, presumably, if they kept the rights, maybe the same thing. Can you afford to have so many be so streaming dependent when there is still a league? And and, and Liga Emekis, too, let's mention, is is mostly linear. So when Liga Emekis is mostly linear, linear and Premier League is at least 50-50 linear, and those are the market leaders in this sport, can other leagues really afford to completely pull back? That's, that, I think, is an open question. Yeah, on this one, I think it's one of those things that uh, if your viewership is large enough and there's enough of, a, of an interest, it makes sense to be on linear. So, like, for example, with La Liga uh, moving from the – well, there's interest in La Liga, right? There's interest in Real Madrid. There's interest in Barcelona. But they were on a network being sports that's not available in as, in as many homes as possible. So I think there's, there are advantages if you're a big league to ha- being on ABC or, or, or Fox or NBC, especially those over-the-air games, because those will make a difference. However, Major League Soccer has been on television for a long, long time. And those viewing numbers, I mean, from that last weekend, we, we talked about uh, USL Championship on ESPN getting 197,000 viewers uh, for a game uh, between you know, two second division teams. You had, I think it was Nashville uh, on FS1 last weekend, um, 88,000 people watched that game. So the, just because you're on linear TV doesn't mean that uh, it's going to uh, bring you into bigger audiences. There has to be enough of an interest to make it worthwhile on television, on, on linear. And with MLS, I think in many ways, I think that product is more, that league is more of a streaming product. And and there's advantages to being on streaming. One of the advantages is that you're not going to have your viewing numbers on television uh, plastered all over the place. Anytime MLS gets bad uh, viewing numbers, like we just mentioned, 88,000 people watching a, a game on FS1. That that's so small. That's, that, that's tiny. That's, that's someone. So so Chris, that's actually what someone who works in MLS told me the day the deal was announced. That this is a win for that reason, and and basically said to me in a condescending way, "You and Chris can't go on and on about the ratings every week the way you do." So so there are people thinking that way in the league. Yeah. So for, for from from a publicity point of view, for MLS not being on television right now. I mean, I mean, for the for the 2023 deal with not having a TV partner in place yet, that's not such a bad thing. But I, I do think they do need some of that that big game awareness. I mean, you need to have the I mean, MLS Cup final on ABC. I mean, you know, every other year or whatever it may be, 
just to have to get that audience out to a bigger you mean for p- people that care that people will tune in and watch those games but for a long season i don't think there's a lot of benefits um and we've seen that from the tv numbers i mean they're mediocre they're, they're not great they're not ho- horrible they're, they're they're just mediocre moving on amanda flores says uh, in regards to um last week's podcast she says great podcast as always some of the names I think Apple TV should consider using for MLS, and this is in terms of uh, MLS deciding that they're going to go ahead and get rid of all of the local uh, RSN deals and all of the you – know, so then all of those local broadcasters are gone. However, they have an opportunity to go ahead and uh, hire anywhere from 10 to 14 commentating teams. And uh, so here's Amanda's uh, picks for commentators and color commentators. Commentators, Callum Williams, JP Delacamera, uh, Jake uh, Zavin, Tyler Torrens, and Steve Cangelosi. And then on the color side, the co-commentary, Casey Keller, Danny Higginbotham, Brian Dunseth, Charlie Davis, or Davies, and then Kaylin Kyle. So th- those, those are good names, right, Kartik? Yeah, great names, Amanda. I'm going to add two more. One on the uh, commentator side, which is Jonathan Yardley. And on the co-commentary side, I'm going to add Lloyd Sam. Oh, and actually, uh, two on the commentator side. Eric Krakauer, although I, I like when he gets to call other things too, right, other than MLS. But uh, Eric Krakauer, for sure, on the, on the commentator side as well. All right, next up, Bill Reese says, At a certain point, I imagine you and Kartik will have the people running MLS on Apple TV on the podcast. When you do, it would be great if you asked fans of the podcast to submit the things they'd like to see on the service, as there will be no better people to make the request to. As my dad always told me, you never take a, no, a low no. I'd love the opportunity to to beg them to add, pause, rewind, and start from the beginning uh, of the broadcast. As someone whose kids go to bed around the time most evening games kick off, I relish the, the opportunity to start a match from the beginning after my son eventually falls asleep. It's the number one thing that ESPN Plus uh, does better than Paramount Plus or Peacock. Thank you and keep up the great work. Yeah, I think I think those things are going to be a slam dunk from Apple TV in terms of functionality, uh, in terms of those types of things where it, it is very much uh, customer centric. Those things that they will, I mean, us, us too, right? All the different features and benefits, all the the, the, the kind of the uh, the bells and whistles. I think a lot of those will be included. But if we do get an opportunity, opportunity if and when we do, uh, we'll certainly uh, dive deeper into that. Next up is Uncle Dishwasher. <laughs> Long-time listener of the show, first-time writer, and I, and I love uh, your handle. Uh, just wanted to share a couple of thoughts on the MLS deal with Apple. The deal certainly contains risks and lots of unknowns, and we won't know if it was good or bad for the league until probably at least several years into it. It has been clearly shown over time that mainstream broadcast television of the league is not what is helping to grow it in America. MLS ratings on ESPN and Fox have become become a punchline for soccer media, including on this show, if we were being honest. It seems as though the league, and actually, I'm sorry, Uncle Dishwasher, I think I lost the rest of your... Actually, let me see if I can find it. Apologies, listeners. I think I, I missed the rest of your email. So apologies, Uncle Dishwasher. Um, but Kartik, that, that, that's a good point, though, too, because... What Uncle Dishwasher says about MLS TV ratings on on TV, 
I think the other side of the, the fence, though, Kartik, is that being on streaming, I mean, gives you that uh, comfort in not sharing numbers, in not having those numbers plastered all over the the internet uh, for everyone to to see and analyze and talk about. However, there's there's always the chance too that people could get lost, that that those games could get lost. Uh, that you mean it's one of those things with Major League Soccer. You mean if you're not in that Apple TV ecosystem, you mean what is there to? I mean, so if you have an Apple iPhone, right? And that's not everyone. That's you mean. I mean, there are more Android users than there are uh, Apple TV, uh, Apple iPhone users. But if you have an Apple iPhone, you're more likely probably to get alerts or Apple News or different things that Apple is able to then go ahead and message you or, or kind of influence you to go ahead and make sure that you know about everything that's happening with MLS. Now, if you're an Apple iPhone user, that's great, right? That's fantastic. If you're a fan of that league or that club or have any interest in that, but there is the the risk that you will get forgotten about, that you will not get taught about because not everyone's watching the games and talking about the games. I I think at the end of the day, Kartik, an I- ideal situation would have been ESPN Plus. ESPN Plus having all of the Apple inventory uh, and then broadcasting that worldwide. Um, However, you I mean yeah, it's yeah. Apple Plus is not in every single country in the world, but the price point, right, six ninety nine, and with all the other content it has, you I mean the Bundesliga, La Liga, etc. That's that's the slam dunk. That's the place to go. Except here we go to Apple TV, and it has no other soccer. This is the first soccer that uh, Apple TV is getting, and. You mean not everyone subscribes to it, and what the price point is? So, what is the price point? You mean we talked about you, you talked about before? It could be ten dollars a month, could be forty dollars a month. Like, what for you is the sweet spot here? Yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe it's fifteen or twenty dollars a month is the is the max. Um, I should mention, and and maybe should have mentioned this last week. There's there's growing. Uh, 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 politically, uh, uh, antitrust concerns about Apple using their phones and their iPads to uh, hook people to sign up for Apple TV+. Plus. So that might end up being an issue in the United States. In the EU, there's an issue of the chargers Apple uses, right? The lightning cables not being uniform with, uh, with USB-C devices, uh, which Android phones tend to run on. So... Uh, the EU is going after Apple on that. So there are, there are some possibilities within this 10 year window that Apple will not be able to leverage their advantages in other places to push Apple TV plus and therefore MLS. Um, I, I, again, we don't know what that's going to look like, but, um, it may not, uh, it, it, it may not be this built in advantage that people think. And by the way, you're right with your statistic. There's this assumption among Apple people, just like 20 years ago, there were a lot of Apple people who, who, who would, you know, come after me like, Oh, you don't use a Mac? You know, how could you not use a Mac? How are you using a Windows PC? And everyone uses a Mac. Well, no, most people used Windows PCs at that time, but probably may not be the case anymore, but was then. There is an assumption among a lot of Apple people that everybody has an iPhone or everybody has an iPad. You're correctly state that's not the case. In fact, you're a person, I think, Chris, if I'm not mistaken, that switched from an iPhone to an Android device at some point. And there are a lot of other people I know that have done that uh, just because of the, the kind of open-endedness that Google ecosystem is a little more, um, a little more open. 
That may be true. That may be true, Kartik. Uh, I actually, I, I have saved Uncle Dishwasher's uh, rest of his email. I will continue to and read the rest of it. Uh, he continues. He says, It seems as though the league is gaining its fans primarily through people experiencing matches in person and getting hooked or latching onto the supporter culture that has been growing and evolving, uh, evolving for a lot of teams throughout the league and not through casual channel surfing and landing on a match. There are a lot of American soccer fans that despise MLS, and whether or not it is available on major American TV channels will never impact them accepting the league. They will continue to scoff at it and only watch European leagues, whether it is easily available or not. MLS fans are very niche, and as a longtime fan of MLS, my favorite team is the LA Galaxy, I feel there is a common feeling among fans of the league that mainstream American sports broadcasters and even a lot of American soccer media outside of the league don't take it seriously and still uh, even make fun of it. It has been shown that MLS fans tend not to watch national games, but they follow their own team very closely. This deal leans into that, centralizing all matches in one place and taking emphasis off of national broadcasts on a platform and hoping... Uh, different markets will all tune in, which they don't. It's a leap that is both risky and also has a potential upside to make this deal uh, and lean more into providing expanded coverage to a fan base that they know will subscribe and already have while trying to continue to grow the league outside of broadcasting on on mainstream television. Thanks for all your continued coverage of soccer in this country. I, I think those are great points, Kartik. I, I, from personal experience, I have met many MLS fans, and in many instances, they know that team. They know that team inside out. You mean they go to uh, all the home games? They have. You mean they got, they got the shirt, they got the scarf, they got the flag, they got the chance. They live for match days. I, I get into conversation about soccer outside of that team. And I can tell within two minutes that this person has no idea about the rest of the league and no idea about the rest of soccer anywhere else in the world. They are a fan of that team. And I think that's to Uncle Dishwasher's point is that the fans in those cities, if you live in an MLS city, you are likely to have gone to an MLS game. Now, whether you continue to go to those games or not, you mean you might be a big fan, you might be a casual fan, you might be an indifferent fan. But outside of those cities, how do you how do you get those fans to get excited when there's so many other options available that are better? Yeah, that, that that's that's the uh, that's the big question. I, I think uh, in a lot of cases, though, you've got uh, you've got fans though now that will, with their season tickets or with their in- local interests, sign up for the Apple TV package, uh, and. Uh, this is another advantage for MLS, right? Yeah, but the, uh, no, but they're already in in, in in that. I mean, they've already been sold, right? So they they get it for free or free in quotation marks. So that that, that that's a known entity. But outside of that, you mean for the fans, for, for MLS or actually soccer fans or sports fans that are not into uh, a, a specific local MLS club, how do you win those over? I I, I mean, at this point, probably you don't. That that's that's the reality. I mean, I the only uh, the only variable here is 
the 2026 World Cup. Does that hook a whole new generation of fans who then look for their local clubs? And whether it's a USL club or an MLS club or if NISA is still in business, I have my doubts about whether NISA is still in business in 2026. But if NISA is, if it's a NISA club, does that change the game in that there's all of these new fans brought into the sport who then follow uh, those clubs? Or does it become like uh, 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 previous World Cups uh, that were not held in the United States? I mean, I remember very distinctly the 2006 World Cup, Bill Simmons, who everybody I think knows, is a bit, was a, you know, the big columnist at ESPN at the time, uh, obviously um, said some controversial things that I happen to agree with, but ended up making his way out of ESPN. Bill Simmons' reaction to, the, to getting hooked on soccer in the 2006 World Cup was, you know, I'm going to start watching the Premier League, and here's a long column about what's great about the Premier League and what team should I support in the Premier League. So that, that could happen too, <laughs> and that won't help MLS or the domestic leagues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dave is next. He says, I hope you talk about global implications. A big wild card is whether there is a boatload of fans outside of US and Canada who are eager to follow MLS. Apple will have great marketing and a great, great app. But does the product resonate enough to get a lot of people outside MLS's home territory to pay? And and, and Dave, I think this one comes down to transfers. I think it, that's that's the only major game that people outside of North America would pay attention to. So if you do sign a Messi, if you do sign a Ronaldo, and I mean, we know how many fans that they have I mean, of those stars globally, then, then that's a slam dunk. But without those transfers, I, I just don't see a lot of interest. Next up is Carlos. Carlos says, uh, just listened to the show from a few weeks ago. I have a few issues. MLS was knocked for their anti-competitive uh, business practices, but why are you okay with PSG, Barcelona, Real Madrid, Bayern, and Manchester cities of the world winning all the major titles all the time? There is no pro-rel in MLS, and locking out cities like Chattanooga from MLS is a no-no. But these high-profile teams aren't open to competition either. Yes, there are two. These are two different things. But why are you okay with one and not the other? If you want to compare apples to apples, a lot of U.S. clubs uh, fail because they're renting baseball or football stadiums built by other teams. Uh, Barry Football Club died after 137 years ago and uh, had their own stadium. These U.S. teams that are are failing aren't even 10 years old and do not have their own pitch and usually. Uh, They don't have their own training facilities. If they don't sell enough tickets, of course, they're going to shut down. Teams in Europe have had time in their cities that U.S. teams simply do not have. How successful would a hypothetical new club in London do? They They would have to share a pitch and try to make new fans, battling older, more established teams. Same goes for new soccer clubs here. They're battling football, baseball, basketball, and hockey teams for fans all of which European teams do not have competing with them. Kartik, you want to chime in on this one? Okay, so when we talk about anti-competitive practices, we're talking about anti-competitive practices from a business standpoint. There are a lot of fans in Europe that... um, that are just happy their clubs have an opportunity to compete at the highest possible level, which means if they're uh, right-sized business-wise to being a third or fourth division club, a small town, whatever, small club in the neighborhood, uh, that's fine. But they have the opportunity to move up. I do agree on the lack of competitiveness at the top of European leagues. I mean, and I think it's gotten – it's obviously gotten worse recently. And, and uh, uh, But 
a lot of fans in Germany don't care. You know, when I bring it up, they're like, well, we own our football clubs. We have a 50 plus one rule in this country, which you don't have in the U.S. In fact, it's the opposite. To have a professional club in the United States, this is part of the reason Detroit had such, we talked about Detroit earlier in this podcast. Part of the reason why they had so much trouble becoming a professional club uh, the first few years is you have to have uh, basically a, 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 a multi-multi-millionaire in terms of net, net worth uh, own 35% of your club. That's codified in the rules in U.S soccer to be a professional club i mean it's ridiculous um so i think uh the 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 other issue um you mentioned is uh is that um the rented facilities i completely agree with that in fact as someone who's worked in lower division soccer i keep mentioning this as an issue and in fact i keep mentioning this is an issue when it comes to the u.s open cup so there are people who say oh well you should give the lower division teams all the hosting rights in theory that sounds good but then that involves renting the facility midweek opening that facility paying for security and then selling tickets on short notice uh for a midweek game which is much harder to sell than a weekend game so um i totally buy that i and i know a lot of clubs have gone out of business because of facility issues um in fact the the previous usl club in austin went out of business austin's now this hot hot mls market the previous the, the there have been a couple of usl clubs in austin but the one that existed um the as the second version of the aztecs went out of business because of venue issues and that's happened over and over again so i totally agree with that um the Burry example is an interesting one because they had a guy that was clearly trying to leverage the club for other businesses and take money out of the club. Uh, more and more of those people have bought football clubs in Europe, which is why I'm not in love with the way things are done in England. I think England has been a magnet. I think it, England is just kind of the U.S. Uh, with, with the pro-rel, but with a lot of the same – it attracts a lot of the same types of business people to own football clubs. Germany is a better model. Uh, last point you made is about com- competition with others sports for fans uh this is a i i will say to me a very naive point i hear this all the time from mls fans that well in europe there are no other sports really you think in france where football is not the number one sport maybe it is the number one sport now because of immigrants but it was traditionally never the number one team sport rugby was that um the clubs there's a reason why there wasn't a first division club in paris for so many years because uh, PSG is a, is, is a more recent uh, entity. They're not that much older than most American clubs, right? Because they, they had other competition in Paris. It's not a football town. London, I would argue, is not really a football town either, okay? There are other sporting interests in London. There are people who I know in London are always telling me about going to Twickenham and going to Lords, and they're not going to football matches. They're going to cricket matches or rugby matches. So I, that's I, – I, and in, in Italy, there are other sporting interests. In Spain, there are other sporting interests. Chris, you're from, you're from Wales. Where does football rank among uh, the top sports in Wales? I think right now, it actually, finally, it made it into the first place. But see, going back about 10 years ago, back to the beginning of time, uh, it was rugby. And soccer was always – when I was growing up, soccer was a, a, a small sport, relatively speaking. It was – Rugby was was always the biggest thing uh, in the country, and now I think finally, just with the success of of the Welsh national team in the Euros and now with the World Cup, I think perhaps slightly uh, rugby is is number two. But yeah, yeah no. Manchester, Manchester and Liverpool are football mad towns. I'm not I'm not denying that, but don't project Manchester and Liverpool and Valencia. There are a couple of really football mad towns in Europe, and then every town in Germany. I agree, Germany it's the number one sport. Um, 
across the entire continent. It's just not the case. It's not the case in London. It's not the case in Paris. I don't really think it's the case uh, in, in Rome, uh, although you know maybe you could, people could argue about that. Uh, but I think in a lot of places, football comp- has to compete, just like it does here. NPOP... B1 says, uh, with the majority of MLS TV on Apple TV, why not switch the calendar? Apple doesn't have college football or basketball, plus transfer market alliance, which uh, honestly would make better selling profit for Major League Soccer. Yeah, I, I don't think we're there yet, Kartik, in terms of uh, MLS uh, changing the calendar. I think it's almost like everyone's in agreement that change needs to happen. And MLS is still sticking to its guns and, and really not... I mean, the, the calendar has expanded a little bit just based on the number of teams in the league. But, um, yeah, you would think they would change things, but, but they, they're not going to, I don't think, at any, any but, point. But, but real quickly, and I, I know I've talked to Ad Nauseam about calendar change, and I'm, I believe it's the biggest issue in the domestic leagues in this country, I, I, even bigger than promotion and relegation, uh, that the calendar has to change. USL is very actively looking at it, and my sense is they're going to pull the trigger and do it. So if USL's calendar is misaligned from MLS's, I think then the game might change a little bit. Okay, we're going to move on to TV coverage. Jeff says, have you noticed a lot of pundits and commentators talking about coaches or teams that know how to win cup competitions? For example, people pointed to Real Madrid and their long history of success in the Champions League to suggest that they somehow know how to navigate those competitions better than other teams, apart from maybe playing more conservatively or having a good amount of confidence. How does past success in cup competitions make a difference or manifest in the way they play? Is this just something people like to say or is there something behind it? Thank you for answering. I think that there's a little bit of something to it in terms of clubs knowing how to kill off games knowing how to, I mean, if you're a one one nil up and you're in the 75th minute, knowing how to waste some time, knowing how to, I mean, not go for that second goal. Um, other than that, I would say that in terms of preparation for games and travel times and uh, back and forth and, and hotels and knowing kind of the, the, the correct or the best way to to enhance a team or make the, get the best out of, out of a team from previous experience going to competitions and going deep into competitions. Uh, other than that, Kartik, do you think it's uh, lazy uh, commentary or, or is there something to it? No, it's mostly lazy commentary. The one place I would... Uh... I do think it is a factor is what you just mentioned is on the front office end, on the organizational end. This has nothing to do with players and managers, um, with, with travel, with, uh, prep, with, uh, meals, with, uh, hotels, that sort of stuff. And that comes down a lot to front office staff and operational staff that have been through, uh, long cup runs in the past or have some knowledge of how to do that. So that's where it comes in, although they never talk about that on CBS, right? They're talking about uh, it is just like, oh, Real Madrid knows how to win Champions Leagues and Liverpool loses a lot of finals and this sort of thing. And Man City doesn't know how to, they don't have the guile to kill off games. I mean, it's, I think, very lazy punditry for the most part. All right, four more uh, pieces of listener mailbag to go. James says, so I listened to the show with Felipe Cardenas about the energy that Spanish announcers bring 
and watching games in the US seem like a funeral. You asked him if it would be possible to bring that energy to the English language. I think a great example of what they would sound like is to listen to ESPN's NHL announcers from the 1990s who were mostly Canadian. I remember watching hockey growing up in the 90s, not knowing much about the sport, but these guys made it sound exciting, something that is desperately needed when you tune into a soccer game or, um, in English in this country, as he's right that they do sound like a funeral. And I think it's one of those things, again, it's uh, each commentator is, has a different style, uh, just as everyone does, right, in terms of how they speak or you mean how loudly or how excitable or how boring, whatever it may be. And to go ahead and throw kind of all the English language commentators into one bucket and say, okay, they're all boring is also, I think, lazy analysis in terms of some of the the commentary out there. There are some very excitable commentators that are really exciting to watch. Vice versa, on the Spanish side, there's some that, I mean, I'm sure the same thing too. So, but but still, good points there. And uh, listeners, eight NHL announcers from the 90s. Cool. All right, ProRail. Uh, Joshua says, I'm a regular listener to the podcast. I haven't gone back to listen to previous episodes on the topic of pro promotion relegation. My question to you is, how are states like my home state of Arkansas supposed to compete with this U.S. soccer system? I know one of many issues is pay-to-play. However, is there a bigger problem with the professional league standards that U.S. soccer implements? I feel like these standards hinder states like Arkansas, where they only have two market areas to be able to have a soccer club, not to mention that college football and athletics reign supreme as far as fan support. I would love to, I would love to get your feedback. Keep up the great work as always and enjoy your football. Kartik, I know this is a uh, a pet peeve of yours in terms of this topic. Yeah, so uh, uh, as I said earlier, I think you have to change the calendar before you do a pro rel. I also think the pro league standards have to go. Absolutely, positively have to go. They are sold. Uh, and so we get back to the person who wrote in earlier and said that uh, 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 about competition. The thing that makes American professional soccer less competitive and anti-competitive and to me potentially violating U.S. antitrust laws are the pro league standards, are the PLS. So uh, Joshua, uh, they have to go. Uh, Arkansas is a state that's effectively disenfranchised. Uh, Little Rock has, by the way, a great NPSL uh, club that has done very well through the years. Um, but again, that's a, that's in the adult amateur level. Uh, states like Arkansas, uh, states like Mississippi, uh, Montana, et cetera, they're disenfranchised by the PLS system. And a lot of cities are. Look, I mean, I can tell you absolutely for a fact when I worked at NASL, we had to limit, there were some markets we were interested in that we didn't want to, we didn't, we didn't pursue, uh, expansion opportunities there because they fit, fell below the 750,000 K metro area standard and USL. I know absolutely the same thing happened in that period where uh, they already had a number of markets in Wilmington and uh, and uh, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and a few others, which uh, at the time Rio Grande Valley, although now uh, that's over 750 uh, McAllen, Texas area that they that were below that number. So they they had very little leeway. They couldn't go to any more markets and get exemptions. So. Um, 
It's a disenfranchisement tool, as is the ownership standard, as I pointed out earlier. And then there's another thing. I'm just going to point this out really quickly, uh, Chris, even though it's a little extraneous. There is a standard, there is a uh, requirement you have uh, your league set up in three different time zones uh, to meet the pro league standards of U.S. soccer, which is the absolute most absurd thing ever written into standards for a professional league in any sport that I know of uh, in, uh, in, in, the, in the world. It's crazy. And that's a way of disenfranchising regional leagues or having regional leagues set up where travel is more affordable. It effectively locks in a monopoly for MLS. Yeah, that's the thing. And this leads right into the next question. But that's the thing about uh, the 2026 World Cup and the, the 16 cities that were chosen in North America. If you look at the map, there's a huge, huge blank space in the central area and Midwest area. Uh, for the most part, I mean, there were some cities selected in those areas, but very few, but a huge blank space where there's nothing going on. And and going back to Joshua's uh, question about um, the uh, professional league standards, I mean, that does limit the growth of soccer in states that have smaller populations, you I mean, that don't have major, major, major cities. Uh, ultimately, that hurts the growth of soccer in this country. So, yeah, no, Kartika, you're, you're right on board there. Jezinho says, in regards to the 2026 World Cup, for the selection of the cities, I think FIFA got, got it right on this one. The global audience are going to want to visit the cities that are deemed to be global or at least global oriented. Uh, the only reason why Boston got in is because of the Patriots owner, Robert Kraft, and its relatively close proximity to New York and Philadelphia. Uh, plus the availability of flights to Miami. I suspect uh, Kansas City got it instead of Denver because of the Hunt family and their historical ties to U.S. soccer. Plus Kansas City would be much easier to get to from the cities within its designated central region. Yeah, again, Chris, uh, the uh, the Boston thing, I don't know why it's so controversial. Look, I don't like them playing at Foxborough. I wish they'd pick Baltimore instead. I'll come out and say that. But Boston, I think a lot of younger people, and I went ahead and tweeted this. You may have seen the tweet, um, tweeted a thread about it. A lot of younger people, I don't think, realize uh, how important Boston is, not only historically in the U.S., but business-wise. It's still one of the four or five leading business centers. And once you take Chicago out of the equation, because Chicago doesn't have a place big enough, uh, a, a facility big enough to host, I think cutting Boston uh, would have been risky because it's also about sponsorship. It's also about venture capital, all these things which Boston is, 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 is very concentrated in. Last but not least, RJ says, is there, a, is there a world feed on radio for the World Cup? If so, why doesn't Fox pick it up? Do you know if they have any radio plans for this fall? So good question about the world feed for radio. I don't believe there is one. I think it's one of those things where each broadcaster in the different areas around the world uh, goes ahead and picks up the rights to it and broadcasts it on their own. Uh, part of the issue is even language in terms of having a world feed. I mean, English is not going to work uh, globally, but... Uh, in regards to your second question is, uh, why doesn't Fox pick it up? What they do, and I'm sure what they'll do for the 2022 World Cup, is they'll just go ahead and simulcast the television uh, commentary and then use that for radio, as they did for the 2018 uh, World Cup. The feedback we got from a lot of listeners who listened to that com those commentaries on, I think, SiriusXMFC, was that there was just kind of long patches of silence. There was, it was, I mean, it's a, it's a television commentary on radio. It doesn't work. It's radio's a different medium. So um, 
So in terms of, do you know if there are any radio plans for this fall? Uh, nothing's been announced yet, but again, too, I, I'm imagining that uh, Fox will do the same as 2018. However, if you can, uh, there are ways you can listen to either Talk Sport or BBC Radio 5 Live, and I'm sure that they'll have uh, radio commentary, actual radio commentary of games uh, from the World Cup. So if you are traveling or you want to listen to the radio, uh, there are definitely ways to listen to it in English language. All right, listeners. Thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for all of your questions, feedback, insight, analysis. Um, this is an ongoing topic with the MLS media rights deal. Uh, we had a story this week. It's still live on the homepage uh, that goes into detail in regards to the local broadcasters and how much um, uh, MLS, in many ways, is going to face a tough battle because there are a lot of listeners that have a close relationship with the local broadcasters so no matter what city you're in in the u.s you're used to watching those local broadcasters bring your team to television and uh that's going away so we have a in-depth piece there from daniel feuerstein on the website and we will have more articles uh in the coming days and weeks in regards to this deal that analyzes it in more detail and maybe share some of the insight that we have uh, from some of our sources in regards to this deal, which is a major one. And of course, the TV part of it is going to be coming soon too. Kartik, uh, looking ahead, uh, today we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, today they announced the uh, championship uh, EFL uh, schedule so that the new season begins, I think it's July 29th. Uh, we've got... Yeah, shameless plug, I'll be on TalkSport uh later tonight u.s time if you're listening on thursday uh to to break down that fixture release so yeah uh look for that yeah and then july july 7th is the opening day of the uefa women's euro 2022 tournament uh and of course too there's also of course mls games nwsl games there's the Concacaf w championship that starts up on july 4th and plus, there's the Argentine League, Brazilian League going on. There's still a lot of soccer going Women's on. Women's Euros. Uh, did you mention that? Yep, yep, yep. July seventh. Okay. Yep. So, yep. all right, listen. So, if you do have any uh, feedback for us or any questions you'd like us to answer on an upcoming podcast, uh, go ahead and email us at web at worldsoccertalk.com, facebook.com/slash/worldsoccertalk, uh, Twitter is at worldsoccertalk. And also, you can also post, post your comments in the podcast thread on worldsoccertalk.com and just click on pods uh, in the, uh, the navigation bar. Kartik, where can everyone find you on Twitter for your uh, insights and analysis about a whole host of different topics? Yeah, KKFLA737. All right, listeners, thank you for listening in. Uh, we hope uh, you'll be back next week. Uh, Kartik, what are they going to do and what should you do? Enjoy your football. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
and it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.